Well, good morning. Um, I thought I'd just share a real short little tidbit. I know I've explained some of this stuff before. I talked about metamodernism. So, uh, a surprise to me to find out that there's a belief that a couple of kids invented metamodernism just maybe 10 or so years ago. I've talked about this on my podcast. It was a pretty shock to me. And I didn't have to think too hard to realize <laughs> how ridiculous of an idea that was. Very simply, Nietzsche, and I haven't gone back to before Nietzsche, Nietzsche and Jung. I mean, I've mentioned this about Jung, right? Because... <clears throat> It's funny. Metamodernism is credited with being an, an outflow of postmodernism after postmodernism, which was a reaction to modernism. But if you look at Nietzsche's Zarathustra as example, uh, the Hinterwelten, this is a section of Nietzsche's Thuspeg Zarathustra, where he talks about. Hinterwelten. Um, in Canada, we understand what, uh, what is it we call it? The hinter. Hmm. Hinterland. So it's the, the area south of the Arctic, north of the tree line here in Canada. So between land, Hinterwelt is very similar. Welt being um, like, you know, plain field area. So hinter in between, hinterwelt. So hinterwelten is the between worlds. And the way Nietzsche explained this is when you meet somebody in person, you don't know for sure that they have a backside. But, <laughs> you know, it would be really weird if you were unsure of some of the people you ran into. So this is Hinterwelten. It's, it's shocking that so many people don't understand how important it is to, to have trust or belief in things that you can't see. And the same can be said that it is shocking that these same people don't understand how essential and how important this is. So as I said, I found it quite shocking that these these kids nowadays, and I'm, and I'm a joke, but they think that metamodernism is something they've invented themselves. It's absolutely hilarious, these little kids running around, uh, and they've tried to turn it into a spirituality. They had a retreat a couple months ago where they went to, oh, it's just become spiritual tourism at this point rather than understanding that metamodernism, in fact, when they were talking about it, just to give you an idea, one of these, um, not a practitioner, but he was certainly someone who's put forward this idea that metamodernism is something uh, more recent. <clears throat> and I'll give you an example of how much they're getting wrong here. But one of them mentioned that Nietzsche was wrong because he said that we needed to um, 
come upon a transvaluation of all values. But where he made his mistake, um, this is a YouTuber uh, by the name of um, The Living Philosophy is how he goes by. But he said Nietzsche was wrong. And I've mentioned this. Uh, the, most of the criticisms of Nietzsche are wrong. And he said that Nietzsche was wrong because he said he was the one to find a transvaluation of all values. Now, he's not wrong that Nietzsche would say that. But why? Why would he say that? Because we all have to find a transvaluation of all values. And immediately when he says this, I just hit the pause and I turn to the wife and I'm like, holy jeez, see what I mean? Like, everyone gets Nietzsche wrong about almost everything. But something as simple as this, how can you learn about the transvaluation of all values and, and think that he, he's the one that's going to choose for everyone when he also says that man is the evaluator, right? Shatson. So, if man is the evaluator, we all have to value for ourselves. He talks about this, that we all have to individually go through this process of, of moving from the camel to the lion to the child, right? So, we have to transvaluate uh, the values ourselves. So, I mean, it wasn't a big surprise for me to, in these same couple of episodes, hear them attribute metamodernism to, you know, themselves or to these kids from college, rather than realize, yeah, I mean, obviously there are no new ideas. But when you read Nietzsche's Zarathustra, when you read Jung's Liber Nobis, it is metamodernism. It, William James' radical empiricism. It is nothing but, if not, it surprises me, but it shouldn't. As I've mentioned before, when it comes to trauma theory, when it comes to uh, philosophy, when it comes to cognition, these cognitive scientists, therapists, when it comes to trauma, I mean... <clears throat> A perfect example would be this metamodernist movement if you take a look at what I think they call themselves the liminal order or something like that. If you go through it, it's this affect that I've talked about many times before. They may have education behind them. <clears throat> they may have a therapy a certificate or something, but for the most part, their only claim to fame is they're a CEO of their own company or you know, they've created this um, therapy. Uh, but most of the time, it's just... Oh, how will we explain this? It's, a, it's another version of that term wars that I've talked about. Term wars, the idea that people just argue about what a word maybe means rather than... Um, or the choice of words rather than what they mean. And this would be a very similar example is that, I mean, we've seen it in trauma-informed and trauma-sensitive. Uh, I mean, these are the same thing, yet we have two separate groups 
that go about this as if they were two completely separate uh, therapies, somatics. We have um, one professor who was vilified for suggesting that somatics was a way forward <clears throat> for trauma. And then we have another one, another therapist who's, wow, just a very, 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 very weird person. Um, but they're lauded, they're worshipped for their uh, somatics um, approach. It's really quite weird how this tends to work. And, and I've mentioned this before. I wonder if a big part of it is there are very few people. I think it was Emerson who said that. He said he could count on, on one hand the number of his, his acquaintances who could still speak Greek into their old age. And what he meant by that is how many people are still using the knowledge they've already acquired, let alone continuing to, to build upon that knowledge, continuing to educate themselves deep into life. And I think that's what we're running into here. How many people don't don't think about what they're told or what they even hold to be true? Right? You have to continue to reevaluate these truths. Right? Because really truth is but agreement, as William James once said, this idea that uh, what Young said, if, if an error will guide me better than what I used to hold uh, to be truth, well, I'll be guided by the error. Right? So I've mentioned this before, that um, Willenmacht, uh, Nietzsche's will to power, as it's often translated, I mean, it would be better translated as uh, that which propels your will. Because having read everything that pretty much that Nietzsche's written you have the odd reference of power, but most of the time the reference is to, like, that which propels or moves or uh, your meaning, your value, your, your, your raison d'etre, your reason for being, your ethos, your telos. Like, that fits with everything we're talking about today. The only thing that will to power fits with is the postmodern idea. But what's really sad is one of the, the, the most lauded, oh, I shouldn't even get into this stuff, but one of the main philosophers in this area is a Frenchman who actually gave up on this philosophy and, and arguably... Um, I guess you, I was going to say suffered from, but I would say that no, he embraced the truth of the enantiodromia of uh, Carl Jung, this reversal uh, to the opposites. Um, and, and he went from being, you know, one of these people who pushed that everything was based on will to power, and, and he actually changed. Uh, he had become an evolved creature, as it were, because he realized what he held to be true uh, was actually air. Right? So here we are when it comes to this metamodernist movement. Right? Why it's important. It's not just philosophy bending about, because it, it's important. Because metamodernism is what I've talked about. I don't believe 
but I don't disbelieve. That's the important thing. You don't have to believe that religion, belief in God, um, is necessary or an important aspect of, of, of the human experience. But you certainly do have to believe that hope, trust, belief, um, faith even if you want to go so far, is foundational to our experience. This is metamodernism. This is what Jung wrote about, Nietzsche wrote about. And it, it just boggles my mind that they think anything otherwise. I mean, look at even how Nietzsche wrote about the Ubermensch. I just talked about this in the previous podcast or the one before, that it was a template, something to strive for, to shoot for, uh, you know, um, a moonshot goal. And this is how um, Jung uh, characterized uh, Christ. So this is probably why so many people are a little bit put off by Axiom, Jung's book, uh, Axiom, uh, answer, uh, Answers to Job, or uh, Liber Novus. To me, I don't have a problem, but I don't feel that Christ is a god, or um, I don't feel that he's not. I have no problem seeing him as a prophet, as John the Baptist, or uh, any other individual with some insight. So is that why I was able to read into this and understand what Jung was trying to get at, is that you don't have to believe that Christ was a god, you don't have to believe that he even existed. Same with the Buddha. You don't have to believe that uh, Shakyamuni was a Buddha existed. You don't have to believe if there was a thousand others. The criticism leveled against Buddhism by Nietzsche and the criticism leveled against Nietzsche by Jung is actually what makes us our magical meta creature that we are. It's not that we believe, it's not that we disbelieve. It's the fact that in the face of doubt, we will hope against all odds. And in so doing, we achieve far more than we would ever, ever give ourselves credit. In fact, I call this kind of a an inverse of Parkinson's Law or just, you know, this truth. Parkinson's Law states that um, something you want or need to do is going to take longer uh, than you expect, than you plan for, and even longer still uh, when you take that into account. You apply that uh, to being, and you understand what I mean, right? Uh, this process of uh, ideation, individuation, it's going to take longer than you think, longer than you plan, and even longer still, taking that into account. The same can be said for so many things. I mean, they say that about change. Right? Change takes longer than you expected. Longer still, knowing the same. But on that, I thank you very much. Uh, just wanted to share, like I said, this 
how often these simple truths are are missed. And especially with Nietzsche, you get a deeper understanding reading it in German, right? I said this before, right? Uh, man is the evaluator, or or even this critique that he's a nihilist, or or um, or Jung was a mystic. I mean, you haven't even read his work, bro. Like, how can you consider Nietzsche a nihilist when the heart of his philosophy is the eternal return? Or Amor Fate, right? To love your fate, right? To see good and bad as the imposters they are. Can you see that as nihilism? That's, wow, that's the opposite. Same as Jung. I mean, when Jung asked you to see Christ as the template for the ultimate that we could all be, how could you see that as a mystical or Gnostic or whatever you want to label it as anything other than, again, hopeful for the human creature? I've said this before, it's this disconnection from who and what we are that's caused this modern malaise. And no small part, Nietzsche and Jung were both right about this shadow that we all live with. I mean, the postmodern movement, arguably, well, here's a little, here's a little hot take. The postmodernist movement was was kickstarted by the First World War. The horrors that we saw, it opened our eyes to what we really are capable of as creatures. I mean, if you think about it, it, before now, whether it was true or not, there was a, a narrative that we were an honorable creature even in the face of war. All that was changed. Whether we either saw the truth or something in us changed matters not. But I argue it's the uncertainty that came from post-World War II, post-Korea, the Cold War, the ecological uh, crisis has all led to this lack of hope, this disconnection from meaning, from value, from each other, from ourselves. So the modern malaise that Nietzsche warned about that he saw coming because of just this transvaluation of their values at the time that was caused by Darwinian thought or or even think of Vivekananda when he came to the Americas in 1893 at the Congress of World Religions in Chicago. His speech talked about this universality, right? Not a plurality, a plurality of individuals, but a oneness of spirit, of, uh, of humanity, of compassion, of understanding. So for me, and I said this in the last podcast, that, I mean, this is all old news. How do we manage these problems? It's funny because for me, I thought 
I was working towards this reversal. Uh, to the opposites. But arguably I've never been a disbeliever. I never believed in a particular narrative, but that doesn't make me a disbeliever. But my my coming to was realizing recently that one of our biggest hindrances is this, the myth of genius is often talked about, but this myth of enlightenment. I've always preferred the term from Japanese, uh, satori, because it means more of a, a momentary insight or enlightenment. Not like... Uh, this misconception that an enlightened being walks around just absolutely perfect. This idea that an insight that changes who you are, how you think, how you see, how you feel, it changes the world around you, your perception of it, your reaction to it. It truly is what we're trying to do with trauma healing and, and, and well, the nature of self requires the exact same thing, right? It's the teachings of the self, the self, the consciousness, uh, chitta. In cognitive science, they consider consciousness or the self to be embodied, and I and I love that because, again, not a reversal of the opposites, but finding a path between so not being like so many of these scientific minded individuals who want to boil the consciousness or the being down to the chemicals the reactions nor do i want to try to attribute what makes us special or meta to something magical i've said this before the problem is not believing in magic when you're in this liminal space, this, this, uh, this non-reason area of enlightenment, of insight, of embodiment. But it's this ability to be in it use these possible um, avenues. Uh, they don't even have to be true. We, as Jung said, we need to leave reason aside to explore reason, uh, sense and nonsense. So the real mistake is disbelieving at all times or believing at all times. And if you consider casino practice to be very similar to this idea of uh, Carl Jung's active imagination. So casino practice, going back to its original roots, was to stare at a candle and close your eyes and try to see the candle. The lesson 
is to see your your open-eyed visuals as no different to the closed-eyed visuals, right? If all is mind-born, maya, then there should be no difference. Because it's the mind that is told of what the eyes see. So the mind should be just as capable. But here's where the problem lies. Well, imagine if you start to see these <clears throat> objects, illusory or not, when you're not practicing casino. That would be a problem. That would be a problem. So, it's a matter of place, <laughs> basho in Japanese, of course, saliency, which is an important aspect that uh, Carl Jung talked about. So truly this meta-modern movement isn't strictly spiritual, isn't strictly psychological, it's also, it's, it, it, it bleeds into all aspects of our life. Right, we're meant, in fact, here's the funny argument. Uh, if you want to trace this back, I argue that Yogacara, Vedanta, Shaivism, um, I mean, it could go back even further, but I'll just stick to what I know. Yogacara is arguably the birth of the meta-modernist movement. The tetralemma that was taken by Pyro to Greece from India began its life as the Cetiscoti, this idea that maybe it's this, maybe it's that, maybe it's either one, both, maybe it's none of the above. Maybe we're not as asking the right questions. That's the meta-modernist movement. When you understand that, yeah, there were, maybe we, we, you know, threw out the baby with the bathwater, or maybe we threw out some good with the bad in the modernist movement. Maybe the post-modernist movement wasn't all bad. But the truth is, is the black and white thinking is what's hurting us. To, to think that the answers are all in one when maybe maybe there is no all in one. Maybe we're not asking the right questions. Maybe we have our answers. This is the metamodernist movement. Doubt. Hope in the face of doubt. But always willing to reevaluate looking for the best path forward. Not the only path, but an individual one. That's the meta-modernist legacy, I think, is reminding us of what I've said so many times, that stripping out a personal approach to spirituality, to meaning, to, to telemetry, Right? Think of those signs, those maps, trying to uh, tell you of where you are, say for a, a mall or a park. 
If the map doesn't have you are here listed, it really doesn't give you all that much guidance, does it? Because for all you know, uh, you're memorizing your way around a corner of the map that you may never see. So arguably this is the meta-modern legacy. is to remind us that above all else, it's this personal approach that matters most. Right? And that may include uh, a healthy dose of uh, myth and magic. It may not. It may have a healthy dose of faith, of spirituality, of belief. It may not. It most certainly will have a heaping of doubt, suffering, all of those, it'll have its time great, dark, evil. And the real truth is, is we always have to understand that we are nothing if not a mix. It's the gestalt. It's the gestalt of our healing, right? I've said this before, trauma can't be healed until we understand that we're we're a system, right? Our mind and our body are a complete system. And until we realize that who and what we are obviously includes metta, includes something more, something between, something extra. So as I said, meta modern is nothing new. Neither is this hubris that they think they invent everything. 